The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com. Great to be back with you for another week. Uh, firstly, I'd just like to say a thank you to my guests last week, Jonathan Davey and Derek Finlayson of SSP and Key Choice. Um, some great information there on transforming small businesses from their experience of helping a 1,000 broker clients develop their businesses. This week, we have another take from the CEO and co-founder of one of the fastest-growing companies in the UK. Um, the gentleman's name is Adrian Pike. I'll introduce him to you very shortly, but I'd first like to share with you a bit of a thought for the week. This week I hosted an interview with uh, former twice world champion rower, professional speaker and TV presenter Meta Block from her home in Copenhagen in Denmark about using humour while speaking and presenting. I also had a gentleman, Ashley Baroda, who's launched the careers of many well-known comics and will be joining me on this show on the, in July. Now I was hosting it via a Skype link in front of a live audience of professional speakers in Birmingham. And it really got me thinking, that's in the UK, and it really got me thinking about the number of hours of my life that I've wasted listening to boring presentations and speeches. And perhaps in my early career, I maybe gave one or two of them myself. And I can still picture some of them, even 25 years later, some of those boring ones that I was in. And the brands of the people who presented them will probably be forever tarnished in my mind. It's worth, therefore, considering how do you use humour to bring your speeches, your presentations, your videos alive so that they're always enjoyable and impactful. And it's fascinating today with social media, an audience will soon let you know if they're not happy. I heard a, a great story recently from the United States where a presenter so bored an audience that lots of people began twittering about how fed up they were. A clever entrepreneur saw an opportunity and organized T-shirts to be made during the event referring to how they had survived the speaker's presentation. They were on sale and in high demand as people left the event. It's amazing the speed you can do business today. Metabolism was my first ever guest on this show back in September 2011, and we're now 79 today. show today. But that show still ranks very highly for listeners, so it's well worth checking it out in the archive. So, do you want to grow your business fast? Because we're now going to look at an incredible case story. Formed in only 2010, Enesco is already the UK's leading energy efficiency solutions company. And it's on track to hit revenue of £100 million after recently reporting a 400% growth in orders. So how can you get off the starting blocks quickly and achieve such outstanding performance from a standing start? 
I'm delighted that we've got CEO and co-founder Adrian Pike on the line today, who led the business to become one of the fastest growing businesses in the UK. Um, it's in the Sunday Times Fast Track League table. It's also one of the fastest growing renewable energy companies in Europe. Having met Adrian, I was very immediately impressed with his engaging personalities, clarity of thought and drive. So I'm really expecting some gems today about how to turn your business quickly into a success story. Now, Inesco works with local authorities, businesses, homeowners looking to reduce their carbon emissions. The company manages many of the country's largest and most complex energy efficiency projects. Adrian's very much the driving force behind their commitment to its people and their ongoing professional development, which for me was really refreshing as that's the kind of thing I've dedicated my life to. All employees are trained against company values and objectives, and the company strives to ensure that all employees reach their full potential. They recently joined only 3.2% of organizations in the UK to ever achieve Investors in People Gold accreditation. They've also become one of only a handful of organizations to achieve um, that goal without first having worked through the bronze and silver standards. So a big welcome to Adrian Pike. Hi, afternoon, Christopher, or morning in the US. And uh, hopefully um, people won't start printing T-shirts about this interview by the time we get to the end. <laughs> no, <not. laughs> um, a pretty incredible story, that one. It really just showed, doesn't it, how, how social media has just changed everything. You know, we were just talking before the interview, weren't we, about as well about Skype and how Skype now is uh, is meaning that we just connect so easily around the world. Yeah, I, I, I just think today, and, and I think Inesco is part of that story, that business models are evolving much quicker than any of us have known. And um, I, I, I think when you look at um, Inesco, we, we very much looked at a market, and we looked to the US actually initially in organizations like Amoresco, um, and also to Singapore and China to look how Asia uh, were combating energy efficiency issues. And I, I think even though we're UK-based, I think we live in a global world where information is power and taking time to read about markets and sectors really gives you the um, ground conditions to actually build a business and grow it quickly. Yeah, and I, I think when we spoke, I think that was something I found very fascinating how you know in this country you're seen as very innovative and you know what you're saying to me is sometimes you're bringing in technologies that are very established in other markets around the world but you bring them into this market and uh, and they're seen as being quite uh, quite new um yeah I, I i think i think today a lot of people try to recreate the world and where the, where the world is a much smaller place you can often find three or four already built for you in I think that amazed me about Asia and particularly China. I think the West think that they they still are innovations, and I think it's a well-known stat now that there's more uh, IP patents registered in China than the rest of the world put together. So, um, and unless you've been there, and I would say to any of your listeners, if you've never been to China, go um, because I find it one of the most visionary and inspiring places I visit, and I'm very privileged that I get to travel. So. I think with anything, you can learn a lot from other people. And, and again, I come back to my point. I think people don't listen and read enough these days. And social media and the Internet has brought much more information to us. But unfortunately, I don't think we collectively use what's in front of us. Yeah, I suppose it's, I suppose it's kind of 
you know, you're going out to these to these markets and looking at them, and there's there's so much out there and so much information available. I guess it's kind of sorting out the useful stuff and making sure you're focusing on the stuff that can really make a difference, rather than getting lost in the this world of data and information that seems to be more and more readily available to us. Yeah, and I think you touched on investing in people. I'm quite team orientated, and I've got a fantastic team around me in. In really just a quick piece about an ESCO, I mean, I worked in the corporate world for 27 years from starting off as an apprentice and working right the way through to the exec of a FTSE 30 company in the UK with 22,000 staff turning over about 16 billion a year. So um, I understand the corporate world really well. And, and through that, I had a, a great network of people, which again is a, another important factor. But I, I very much believe in creating a team of people with different strengths and skills. Um, so with that, you have innovators, you have uh, inventors, um, but also you have a bunch of practical people that ensure you, you, you keep on a, a road and a journey that actually delivers revenue and profit because I think too many people have lots of ideas. And my COO has a a logo he nicked from Nike called Just Do It. And I think that's missed in a lot of companies where ideas are, are, are very freely available, but actually delivering, executing and making money out of them is the difficult part. So to have that balance throughout the team is critical. Mm. So tell us a bit about yourself, Adrian. I mean, you obviously worked for, grew and developed and became an executive of a very, very big company. I mean, what were the influences on you? that may have you know led to being able to lead a, a business that is growing so quickly i mean um is it something in your childhood or in your makeup or is it this something that you've learned i, I think my mum and dad would say in my childhood i, I mean i got my farm my dad was a, a farmer he, he milked cows and he used to wake me up most mornings either either to help him out or put a calf in um i thought after both my grandparents had done that i thought that was not the life for me in uh um, six and seven o'clock in the morning in December in England, which is pretty cold, slipping up, mucking out cows with a face full of cow manure is never uh, never the best place to be. So um, I think my first business was when I was nine selling guinea pigs at school, which was quite good because I got my mum to clean them out. But jo- joking aside, I, I enjoyed making money from a young age. And um, whilst working for the big utility, I set my own own gardening company up and sold that and owned a Porsche at 21 which was a goal and I think I've always been goal driven and I wanted in my career in the utility to always push boundaries which I did um, and I helped over an eight-year period double the size of a FTSE 30 company which is quite unprecedented even though it wasn't down to me I had a phenomenal team of people around me living by a very visionary Chief Exec Ian Marchant, who's just announced his retirement. But I I think with that, I learned a lot. And I think there's a lot of people that believe the corporate world doesn't breed entrepreneurs. And I'm not a massive fan of the word entrepreneur. I, I think it gives you a good grounding. You learn an awful lot about different types of cultures, um, what works, what doesn't. Um, and actually, I think corporate world now is much more sensitive to cash, which when you come out of a corporate world and work with a VC, cash management is really important. So I, I think that grounding as a child 
and underpinning all of that working hard throughout my corporate life let me come out of that and have a vision with a great set of people and more importantly I had investors that wanted to give me money to grow a company and we raised six million pounds three million from two investors immediately um, which gave us the cash to grow and a really strong goal-driven organization which everybody shares in we run a scheme where everyone from the receptionist through to myself have a bonus scheme which is all aligned so that alignment means we've been able to grow from zero to 21 million uh, in year one we've just closed our accounts off this year at 55 million and we've been profitable all the way through we've even just paid our first dividend out to our shareholders at 31p in the pound so they're immensely happy so it is about having a vision having direction having belief and having a fantastic set of people around you fantastic so to just um uh, put into a, into context for us it's you, you manage complex energy efficiency projects uh, what what um you know, how do you articulate what UNESCO does in its marketplaces? I, I, I think I think the first thing what's, what differentiates us really is you've got wind companies, solar companies, insulation companies. And we very much set ourselves out in this relatively new market. Is firstly, we need to understand every product and, and every product that's coming to the market. And also, we need to work with every type of customer, whether that's a homeowner, a local authority, e.g. in the US, a federal market or the private sector. So we need to look at that and we constantly need to review and add products and customers to what we do. Um, then you need to make it very simple. Um, I quite often use my mum and dad when it comes to anything we do, where I actually put it in the post of them and get them to explain to me whether they understand it. Because I think too many people overcomplicate their service and hence it's very difficult to sell. So again, even though we do put together complex models, we very much um, make it simple. And I often use the, use the word to all my team is treat me like an idiot. Um, because then if I get it, um, then everyone else will get it. I think that's uh, very, I like the idea of sharing it with your mum and dad. Uh, just sense check that for you. I, I'm somebody, I recently had my, my wife was uh, asked to go into school just to explain what, um, what her husband did because uh, my, <laughs> my son couldn't explain it. <laughs> um, maybe, uh, maybe there's something I need to learn there. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite interesting with technology that, um, in home automation, I'm a big fan of, and we're on our second system at home because uh, my wife hated the first one. And I think if you're going to sell a product, um, actually put it into your house and trying it and letting your wife and your kids play around with it is a, is a, is a good thing to do. Um, and you can learn a lot. And I encourage my staff to do that. So I think it's that level of engagement and knowledge and keeping it simple is key. And, it, and I don't think it really matters whether you're trying to launch a space rocket or or um, do something much more simple than that. I think naturally people try to overcomplicate things, which is known as the old black art. And, and I think that a lot of that's done out of fear. Um, and I think you need to break those barriers down. Mm. Yeah, but it really sense, you know, with your, your products as well, I, you only really, I guess, get to fully appreciate them when you're using them 
yourself um, and, and a user of them. Um, so does that mean you've got have a lot of uh, a lot of repairs and a lot of amendments going on in your house with so, different solar panels going up and workmen yeah, around? Yeah, we play, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We play around. I've I've got probably most renewables in the home. In I'm I'm looking, for instance, I met someone today looking at a a gas hydrogen cell that I'm just working out where I can stick one of those. It's the size of a fridge in in trial that. But it's not just about me. I think probably in the company, we've got 85 staff in the company now, which again, very proud of that. We've pretty much grown from 10, two and a half years ago to 84. And we're just recruiting another 25 now. Um, is probably 20% of them have got some type of device um, that we sell, we innovate with or deploy in their own home using. And a lot of them want to embrace it and they, they, they want to be the guinea pig. So uh, I, I think that's a great thing to do. Fantastic. So, so what you've, you, you know, you're, you're moving into you're improving year on year. Um, what's your vision for the future? I mean, where, where are you going to be in 10 years time? Hopefully on the beach, Chris, with my CRO, who's just joined the room, actually. But um, And I think that's a good point. I think, one, we've got 10 years' time. It, it, it's past the both of us. In, um, I, I'm a strong believer. You, you, you really can drive a company between five and seven years, and then it's someone else to take on the next journey. And probably, if you're fast-growing, probably nearer the five to six years rather than the seven to ten. Um, and we've got a great succession plan. I've got some fantastic late 20s, 30-year-olds that are really inspiring and and eager. And unless you give them their head, then you, you end up losing that. So um, from my point of view, we have a clear plan. Everybody thought it was, it was mad when you put it in place. But um, in three years' time, we'll have revenues over 180 million. We'll um, be making profit of circa... Um, 18 to 20 million a year EBIT, we'll have cash in the bank of 45, 50 million pre-making any dividends. So that will give us opportunities to do all sorts of things. And even though I've worked worldwide and I've really got the desire to do that again, I know the youth around me would love to jump on a jumbo jet most weeks and take over the world. And I, I think that would be the natural progression when we've conquered the UK. Um, the younger generation, even though I'm only 45, will de- definitely take the mantle in, um, and take an ESCO internationally. Mm. Fantastic. Well, a- after the break, we're going to look at some of the key factors that have been you know, important to uh, your growth. Uh, we'll take some of those and uh, explore them in greater detail. Um, but we're just going to have a commercial break now, and we shall be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. <music> comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. How do you feel about the future? 
Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of bemoreachievemore.com. I'm with Adrian Pike, and we're talking about growing your business fast. Now, Adrian, what do you think from your experience of the last few years and, and your previous experience of growing business have been the key factors that have really been important to you successfully growing this UNESCO uh, very quickly? I, I think we touched on a bit before the break. I think understanding the market is absolutely critical. Um, having great people around you um, and having a network across some of the core areas if, if you want to set a business up. And those core areas for me is Ultimately, money, cash, you need to be able to raise that. And um, the banking community is difficult to work with. So I'm a big fan of peer-to-peer lending that now is becoming um, very trendy, particularly in the UK and only the US, it's popular as well. Um, I think also looking at different um, type of funders, particularly high-worth individuals that have a specific interest in the renewable sector, for instance, I'm in, that... Uh, are looking for long-term returns, um, want to put a green um, angle into their business. Um, and, and then finally, have the ability to create time for the senior team to step away as you grow to make sure you challenge your starting point and make sure you're nimble enough to deviate away from it if you need to. So that nimbleness and opportunistic approach is critical. So is that about is that about reviewing your planning and you know going back and uh, reviewing strategy and making sure you're adjusting to the marketplace? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think I, I think strategy is an interesting word for me. I think um, I, I often joke with Tim, the COO, about lots of people want to come and have strategy discussions, and I think. If you're in a service-led business that's quite fast-moving, you can spend a lot of time writing strategies that are out today. Um, I'm also a big fan that all the staff actually know where you are. And again, if you start having strategic workshops, a lot of your staff actually get switched off from those. You go back to your original comments about the T-shirt. You need to be much more engaging and keep it real and keep it simple. So... I think when we when we look at strategy, we set simple goals that everybody understands. We communicate them consistently and continually. And at a point when we move away from a certain goal, we make a change again. We make sure we communicate it. Um, and, and I'm not a fan of email, as you know. I think email actually slows organizations down. Um, we do a lot of it face to face. We had our first conference um, last week where everyone was involved. So, again, it's just making sure everybody is informed and everybody feels valued. 
I mean, a, 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 just a very good example today. Um, we're launching our new website. I'm not a fan of websites. I actually wouldn't have one if um, if I had my way. But um, um, some of some of the people in the business insist you have to have one. Um, and we're just launching a new one. And I just know there's 10 people in the organization that are really passionate about it, love it. So um, I, I've just sent it to them and they're ripping it apart and testing it and and really embracing it. And I think that's a good example of involvement. So not only will they enhance it today before it goes live, but they'll have a continual interest in it. And I think it's that type of involvement that's real. It's not strategic, but they feel engaged. Mm. For, for anybody who's listening, who's thinking about establishing a, a business quickly, how would you recommend they go about doing it? I think to start with, um, you need to have a clear view of what you're going to deliver, how you're going to deliver it, and to whom, and have twice as much working capital as you think you need day one. Um, because you, if you're going to move quickly, you will burn cash, and you always forget something. So, And you can never have too much cash, whether that's personally or in a business. So um, do all your modelling, and don't spend too much time on it and then double what you need. And then the final point is believe you're going to be big. I have lots of people, and Chris, you came to the offices, that you walk in and you think, God, you look like you've been here for 10, 15, 20 years. Start off as you mean to carry on. And again, having money day one means you can kit the office out. You can fill it up with all the IT kit you need. You can make sure you've got a big pipe into the building so people can operate efficiently so you create a culture and a vision of a big organization even though you've just started and again that attracts better people because certain individuals don't want to work for a startup they want to work for something that is going to be big and again having that belief in demonstrating you're in that position again I believe is critical and how how do you build that confidence you know it's a starting to you know borrowing large amounts of cash and having that big vision must require a lot of confidence and self-belief how, how do you acquire that i i i, I think people say you be confident i, I think it, it can't be a, an individual person I, I think there's lots of um individuals that are very passionate but haven't taken people with them i think if you've got a group of passionate people with varying skills and they show commitment. I, I think that is an instant step change. I mean, I know lots of people that come to me with ideas and they're, they're, they're just on their own. And when you dig deep behind it, it falls apart very quickly. I think with Inesco, we had a clear vision and people looked at the team I brought together and went, wow, this is something we want to get involved with. So, I think you need to delight people in a way of demonstrating there's real belief with depth. And I think that's quite rare. Um, I think raising money, I'm not a fan of debt. Actually, both me and Tim um, hate debt. We have zero debt in an ESCO. Um, we very much work the VC community, the venture capitalists and PE funds, and, and raise money and gave them equity in the company. And again, um, Tim and myself put zero money in. Uh, I own 8% of the company, Tim owns 6 and we put zero money in, which again 
is quite unprecedented. But again, VCs find it very difficult to find organisations to invest in. And if you ask one thing they look for, management teams that they believe in, they can trust, that have a clear view of how they're going to take the organisation forward. So again, I think if you've got the right group of people, the right ideas, you understand your customers and you've got a business plan that's easily to understand, and it comes back to my simplicity point, um, I think you go to a VC market in PE houses and they are desperately looking for people like, like the UNESCO management team to invest in. That's uh, quite interesting. Brought back a memory of when um, I was in a, a team for his own day, very successful uh, consultancy business, and uh, a VC wanted the four of us to move to Australia and set up a pub group in Australia, which they were going to fund. Um, it was interesting that uh, yeah, they they wouldn't um, they wouldn't do it unless all four of us went, and uh, a number of the wives didn't want to go for obvious reasons. It's a fairly long long way away, uh, but it was yeah the team that they wanted to buy into really. Um, so. Uh, so that's good. That's that's great. I mean, you talk a lot about um, you know vision in that. How do you best? What's your best practice around developing that vision and kind of affirming it within the business? I, I, I think, firstly, I encourage ideas from everybody. Um, I I close every meeting with a session on ideas, and I make sure my management team do the same. Um, at the conference um, last week, um, it was quite interesting. It wasn't death by PowerPoint, so there was no there was no T-shirts issued there either, Chris. But um, it was very engaging. But the, the main theme about it was creating ideas for the business. And we, I actually got all the investors there, and we run a Dragon's Den. I don't know if you get Dragon's Den in the US, but it's a bunch of very high worth entrepreneurs and people pitching ideas to them. And we ran that for three hours while we celebrated the success of last year. So people had a few beers and a glass of wine and we had some real fun and we had some great ideas come out of that. So, so first thing when it comes to vision is you, you need to get the ideas from your team um, and we collect them all the time and, and I look at those personally. Um, I think then from the board perspective, go the other end of the, of the spectrum, we spend most board meetings talking about the future and vision rather than look at the numbers. I'm adamant that board packs should be out way before the board meeting, so they're read, so you look at exceptions rather than do a page turn, and you focus on going forward, not just talking over uh, what's already happened that you can't actually change. I've got a very diverse board, a very challenging board, but a very visionary board, so Again, I've got two spectrums. I've got my board and my investors being visionary and I've got all my staff being visionary. And then really the glue of that is the management team where we actually try to go and hide away every six weeks, not as a management meeting, but just to grapple with our vision, taking on board what staff are saying and taking on board what the investors and the board are saying and making sure the two are joined up and we're not missing anything. And I think in today's world, we all struggle to find time. I think if you speak to most people, time is a limiting factor. So making time for you to go away. And generally, we go to a hotel off-site. 
We generally meet in the afternoon. We have a dinner together. We have a couple of beers, a bottle of wine. Um, chew the fat over dinner. Then have a session around key points we see the following day. Um, so you're in a much more relaxed atmosphere, which I believe um, gets the old grey matter going. Um, and occasionally we might bring some of um, the up-and-coming stars along to get their input into what we're doing as well. And, and I think it's, it's, it's having that thinking time to enable you to create the right vision. And if you're going to do a U-turn that you have to do, you, you, you think that through and understand why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I think what, what I'm really sort of getting from this is that a really kind of important step change for many, many people who may be listening at the moment is you may be at the moment, you, you know, yourself or just a small, a small number of people who are you know, operating at one level. And, you know, what I think I'd encourage you to think about is actually is are you doing something that could become much more scalable like um, Adrian's business and uh, you know would 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 obtaining some funding and uh, involving more people and, and creating that bigger vision uh, would that actually lead to something greater and you fulfilling your potential more just a you know a fundamental question I think for many small businesses that's certainly coming up for me through this um, so to, let's talk about selecting people then, Adrian. How do you select the right people for your management team, and what are you, what are you looking for in in people? I, I mean, the first thing we I'm a big fan of psychometric testing, not as a, a starting point, but through any interview process. And I've done that now for 20 years. In that people are fans of it, people aren't. But I think understanding the fundamental fundamentals of an individual and how they're made up, I think it's important, particularly if you're looking to build a diverse team, having a bunch of very dominant people, um, I actually think only drives one type of goal. And then having people that are just very compliant um, doesn't work either. So again, psychometric testing is a tool to make sure you create a balanced team. I, I think um, I'm a big fan of friends and family, actually. I think bringing people you know into the business, um, I think, is also important. I also think using social media. I mean, LinkedIn is the headhunting tool of the world now, isn't it? And mm. um, I know people, and I probably out of the 85 employees in Inesco, I've personally headhunted probably 10 of those off of LinkedIn. Um, and, and again, that's a tool probably five years ago most of us wouldn't have thought about using. Now, going forward, there will be new tools to, to use. And um, so I, I think around it, I, I don't think there's a, a, a common rule with it. I think it's about people. It's about understanding their skills and, and then looking globally at the market to get the best people. And the final point on people is overpay. Um, one thing Tim and myself have learned, we work for a Scottish-based company that generally cuts salary costs and we're tight. We came in here very early on with that view. We overpay people here and reward people because having less people working 120% is better than more people that are only delivering you 80%. And that's another big lesson that we've learned. Uh, that's a very, very good lesson. I mean, what, what's also important to you about maybe suppliers that you work with? I mean, one of our values is collaboration. And, and I believe collaboration um, is our supply chain. We're very proud. We pay 100% of our suppliers ahead of terms. Um, and then I think it's great when relationships are good. 
Um, but when we need a favour, we always get them because if you pay your suppliers the best, you always get their support. But more importantly, I have a very small credit control department and debtors department because we pay everybody ahead of term. So you haven't got people chasing for their cash. And also with our customers, we work with those very in a very collaborative way. And so they pay us. We have never had a bad debt in an ESCO. So, again, those two points around collaboration and working together is key. Rather than a lot of people have a buyer whose sole job is just to beat the supply chain up and ultimately you erode value. I think that's absolutely right. I I, I ran a procurement consultancy and I actually sold my share of it in the end and left because uh, I didn't like that aspect of it. It didn't always sit with my values. And And I felt sometimes that... You know, stripping costs out of companies actually started to you know erode the brand. Um, I remember having a quite a tough conversation with a very senior guy in a company who thought I was going to be impressed that he'd increased his uh, payment terms to ninety days. Big, 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 com- well-known company. Uh, and when he when he, when he asked me what I thought of it, um, it quite smugly, I said I thought he was an idiot because um, I think it just just was impacted so negatively on their on their business their brand and uh, it was very disrespectful to their supply base that's my my view of it so he, he got both barrels um, no, I, I, I think that type of behavior actually is, is it, I, I just think it's fundamentally wrong in uh, I, I think you're driving the wrong principles into a company I think people do a good job should be paid quickly they then want to come back and do another good job for you and and again so my supply chain I have to say it's fantastic and works with us closely for all those reasons. So they never feel they've been had over. They feel rewarded and satisfied when they fill the job. And again, I think you end up with a better quality of job as well because they don't feel they're doing it for nothing. Um, So again, having a, I mean, sustainability is cool to me. And I I think those collaboration, sustainability really go hand in hand. Yes, I have a client I've worked with now for maybe in different guises for maybe getting on for eight or nine years, something like that. And one of the things they always do, they they always pay me very, very quickly. And I'm always so grateful when they do. It just really, as a supplier, it, it, um, it, it just sends out all of the right messages and you've never got you know, awkward phone calls or anything like that. They get more from me as a consequence. I do more for them. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, we, like I said, we're privileged with our supply chain. And, and we get innovation from our supply chain and ideas, and we use them to bring vision in as well. So I, I, I think it's that real joined-up thinking with everybody, which I think has been lost a little bit. I, I think the internet actually has made relationships quite distant where we're very people-orientated, which, again, I think is quite different. Mm, it's, it stands out. It's re- It's refreshing. Um, great. Well, we're going to come back and uh, have another commercial break right now. We'll be back again. This is the last one. We'll be back in in just a couple of minutes, and there's uh, lots more to cover. So do come back again after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. 
Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper, bemoreachievemore.com. I'm with Adrian Pike. We're talking about growing your business fast. And Adrian, I just wanted to ask you about, about values. I mean, how did you get your values right? Um, are they yours or did you build them to kind of fit the business and the markets that you operate in? I think it, was, again, comes back we are talking about before the break. It was a joint effort, really. Um, I, I discussed them with the team. Um, we went through them. I mean, there's some base principles. I mean, if you take safety is, I, I believe, a safe-run company is a well-organized company and a profitable company. So I think safety is at the heart uh, of any organization and should be the first thing debated and then you next you get customers so customer service is, is logical and let's be honest if you haven't got customers you haven't got a business so i think that's uh important um efficiency and and again these aren't rocket science again running an efficient business and, and, and understand and that's not about cutting costs it's just about doing the right thing so actually running things efficiently. I think IT is a good example. Lots of people cut IT costs. I buy the best possible IT equipment because IT kit today relatively is cheap. I don't have a policy on IT kits, so people that run on iPads or the latest PCs, and we have the biggest pipe in the office, so people aren't restricted in sending emails because relatively it's cheap now. I don't care how much people save on the main servers because servers are cheap now. So again, efficiency is not about saving money. It's about having the vision. It goes about vision, really. Having the vision of what you want to be and how you save time and ultimate money. Um, I mean, we've talked around collaboration, um, and that's really linking everything from supply chain to the organization and clients. And then the two big ones, really, sustainability. How can you create a model that's not for today? And Already, Inesca has 25-year contracts, unbreakable, um, with banks because we look after assets and maintain them and, and optimize um, returns 
um, for quite a number of assets, nearly 10,000 now. So again, you've got sustainable revenue streams, which is great. So when you're recruiting, you can, you can sell that. And again, when I, I started off and said we would go and win 25 year contracts, everybody thought I was mad. Um, so that was great because that determined me even more than just go and get some, which we did. And then finally, innovation. Um, I think you need to innovate on top of everything you're doing, which is really my idea scheme. Um, and, and lots of little things that come out of the idea scheme. For instance, um, I'm big on health, environment. That sort of underpins what we do. I'm not a tree hugger, I'd have to say. But, I mean, little things we do, like when everyone has a birthday here, we give everybody an indigenous tree that they can plant in a garden, their fr- friends, family's garden, or even around the office. So little things like that um, in, in, engage with that. And we've done other things in terms of product development, but I think the innovation can be around all of it. Um, and finally, we don't call it, we, we very much pin it up as our values. So we share, we, we share them together and we challenge each other to make sure they're still valuable, valuable today and work for us today, which fortunately they do. But again, if you're in a fast moving business, if, if one of them didn't quite fit, we would definitely change it or even add another one. Because, again, I don't think you can put these things in a box. Mm. How, how do you, just interested to know how you kind of cope with kind of the gr- growing pains of, uh, of, of rapid growth? Um, you, know, people, you can get to a sort of certain size and, you know, things have got to change. I mean, is it, it, do, do you not have those because you've invested up front in this bigger business? I, I think I think growing pains. I think is as much psychological as as, as real. I, I think people make various excuses why organisations fail um, or succeed or struggle. Um, I, I think naturally um, that comes back to vision and planning. So if your vision tells you where you're going to go, and you map against that vision, then that's fine. You, you're never going to hit growing pains. Again, if you're nimble enough and you revisit that vision regularly enough, and as we get together every six weeks, I said the, the management team, and if we've got something wrong, we're totally prepared to change. Um, a lot of the staff here have only been here two years. Most of them have done two different jobs while we've been here. And, and how many people listening to the call are, are fed up in their job or want to change? I, I, I've seen massive engagement from the team where where they get moved in. When you start doing that, actually change management was a big issue back in the 90s, wasn't it, in, in the 2000s about we need to have courses on change management. It's because change didn't happen that quickly. If you start introducing change all the time, people get very comfortable with it. So, so then manage rapid growth becomes very straightforward because people are used to it. Yeah, part of, the, part of the culture. I'm just interested. You know, you you say you have 25 year contracts. How have you given the confidence to customers to you know trust you with that when you're such a new business? I, I think part is about belief. Part is about demonstration, um, and working out how you're going to get that contract. So, for instance, um, some of the early ones we won, 
Um, we had some funders, some VCs that wanted to own some assets and wanted them maintained for 25 years. Um, so we sold them the concept. Then we went and found the customers that we could build the assets for. And really, we pulled the funder and the customer together. So we pretty much wrote the contracts for ourselves because we created a model and a vision and we put two parties together. So we acted a bit like a dating agency, really. So the 25-year contract ended up of us getting married. And, and, but the contract was written in a way they could never get divorced, which is quite good. So, um, I mean, that's a simple way of describing it. But we went about it a totally different way. You, you talked to me about being a UK player in a global market when we, when we met. And how do you ensure that you most of all keep, keep a real eye on what is going on elsewhere in all of those different markets? You obviously mentioned you've been out to China and places like that. Um, how do you do that? How do you keep your eye on the ball? Um, I, two things. I, I've got a great PR agency that you know because they introduced us. Um, and they, they they just really look at the whole world market in terms of the energy efficiency space and do me a um, a weekly sort of headline news of what's happened around the world. Um, and we issue that to all staff for them to read. Um, as a bit of a competition, uh, a couple of my graduates that is part of their development they produce the same thing on a monday and we and we have a bit of a bit of um, spot the difference um is a bit of sport so i i think we do that on a weekly basis and i make sure i not test but uh, when i wander around the office I have a chat with people to make sure they're making the time to read it and learn it and understand it and probably for me it's one of the most important two documents i read on a weekly basis because it's critical you get a clear understanding of not what's only happening in your market, but also around the world. Great, great. And what do you see yourself as, we talked about a bit about the 25-year contracts, what do you see yourself as being a, a very sales-driven organisation with the amount of work you've managed to bring in very quickly? Is that, is, is sales the key prime focus or? Yeah, I, I, I think you need to focus, we, we talked around values, I, I, I think you need to keep you need to keep an eye on everything you're doing because I think a lot of people say achieving growth and selling things is quite easy. Um, and, and people often look at me strange when I say that, but actually, selling hundreds of millions of pounds contract is great. It's about price. Um, selling product and making money is a t- totally different ball game. So. I think it's about making sure you've got a well-oiled machine that actually takes opportunities through to orders, through to delivery, through to service, through to payment, then then the maintenance of it. So I think, yes, we're very customer-focused rather than sales-led. So we listen to our customers and we build propositions around that are valuable to us and the client. So I actually don't necessarily like the word sales-led. I think we're customer-led based around our product set. Um, with the with the ultimate ultimate three things we set the company up for, um, we we want to make a difference. Um, so whether that's saving carbon, saving energy, taking people out of fuel poverty, um, we want to make money. Um, we're not a charity, and um, 
Uh, we, we support some charities, but look, we, we were never set up to be a charity. Ultimately, we got two VCs that back us, so they want returns. And more importantly, wrapping all of that, we want to have fun. And you need to keep those three areas in balance. And I think with that, then you can actually achieve the growth you're looking at. But I think a lot of people say sales-led organizations, I've seen a lot of them that go out and grab revenue in generally, whether it's six months, one year, two or three years, they come crashing down because they've, they've just been built on, on just grabbing orders and contracts at any cost. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, just got a sort of a couple of minutes uh, or so before I need to wrap up. Um, I just would like to know how you've personally developed yourself. I mean, have you and how you kind of embrace that with your people? Do you have any kind of key insights about your own development that you might want to share? I, I, I covered you earlier. I, I, I worked hard from a young age. I could uh, I, I could drive a tractor in a car at the age of nine, but. So I, I think fundamentally at my core, I, I work um, very, very hard and I push my team hard. So um, I, I came up through the grassroots, um, but even at school, I worked particularly hard. Um, but with a key focus at the, at, the age of, at the age of 10, my primary school headmaster told my dad, look, Adrian's not the brightest bloke on the planet. Um, get him a job driving a tractor around the farm, he'd be fine. So that still sticks with me now. When I was 18 and had my Porsche, I actually popped in the school and reminded him, never write anyone off at any age. Um, <laughs> but I, I did education hardware. I did apprenticeship. Um, the company wouldn't let me do an HND, so sort of pre-degree. I went and did that. I took unpaid leave to do that on my own time. Uh, I then did a DMS in my own time. I did an MBQ5 in my own time. Um, but I, I, I very much, I had great mentors around me. And one bit of advice I give all my um, all my young team that are really pushing through now is, is, is get some mentors and make sure they're not from work. I had, I, through my career, I had three or four fantastic mentors. I still have them now. Fortunately, unfortunately, one of them, passed away before Christmas aged 85 in I I think having people outside of work that don't have a link to work but have done various different things that you can bounce ideas off that don't have an interest in what you're doing is absolutely critical and you can learn every day and too many people when they're building their careers or their businesses don't really have anyone to, to speak to and they take their issues home. They speak to their wives or husbands or partners. Um, I think having some people that you can just chat about what you're looking at doing, bounce off ideas that actually is away from what you're doing day to day is critical and the most important thing above education or anything because that wisdom uh, is invaluable. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And um, just a final um, minute um, anything that you'd like to messages you'd like to leave us with? I, I think the big thing for me is belief. Um, I was in a big corporate and people thought I was mad when I left. Um, I love what we do. I've got 85 people and we have a real ball. Um, we have fun. We're making a difference. Uh, and I'm developing an organization, a bunch of people that uh, are going to leave a legacy in the UK and maybe beyond in what I'd say to people is, is believe you can do it, um, plan it to a point, be nimble, 
um, and build that team around you and you will be amazed what you can achieve. And, and I, I can't quite believe it. I pinch myself most Fridays, but always chill out. Make sure you switch your phone off. I go on holiday and you won't believe it. I never take my phone. I never take email because I empower the team around me. And that's a powerful thing to do. And I would say to everybody, you can do it. Um, and please start the revolution. Fantastic. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Adrian. Found it fascinating talking with you and some really great insights for our listeners, I think. Hope you've enjoyed joining us. No, and a pleasure. Uh, and if you've got any questions uh, or feedback, please send them to me at chris at bemoreachievemore.com. I'll leave them on my Facebook page or join me on Facebook. Um, for more information on Adrian Pike and Anesco, go to www.anesco, that's A-N-E-S-C-O.co.uk. On next week's show, I'm going to be talking to the president of PRS Guitars, Jack Higginbottom, about how to develop an iconic brand. Um, owning a, a PRS guitar um, for many guitarists is a dream come true, and indeed it was several years before I felt worthy of owning mine. And this is why I'm really keen to discuss the Paul Reed Smith story about how a dream to make incredible guitars started in the garage in the 1970s and was transformed to what I now believe is an absolutely iconic brand. So very excited about that one. Thanks ever so much again to Adrian Pike and Anesco. Um, tremendous um, content and information there. And I wish you all a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.